So that was a huge adventure. I had a toddler, uh, a baby. We lived without electricity and we had 50 acres of farmland and we were ready to go for it, right? Have you ever wondered, how do you grow a socially conscious and environmentally friendly e-commerce brand online while also making a profit? Yeah, me too. After watching my family members suffer through cancer and heart disease using products by companies that care more about profits than their customers, there must be a better way, right? That's when I discovered an emerging wave of successful, purpose-driven businesses, and I knew I needed to be a part of it. So join me as we dive into the stories behind the most inspiring brands in the world and discover the secrets on how they successfully win over the vote of their customers' wallets and grow their business online. My name is Vincent Tanyono, and welcome to the e-commerce speak podcast. Whoa, so you may have noticed that the name is now e-commerce speak and you may be wondering what's, what's up with that. Essentially, what we're all about is we're talking to socially conscious and environmentally aware e-commerce leaders in the marketplace. So, you know, we're still the same people. I'm still the same, doing the same interviews and we're just changing our branding. So let's head on to today's episode. I'm so excited to be joined here by Holly Arbuckle. Uh, Holly and her husband, John, are co-founders of Singing Pastures and they have a farm and also a brand where they sell uh, Rome sticks made from 100% pasture-raised pork. So that's, I thought that was uh, quite amazing what they are doing. So Holly has a background as an entrepreneur acupuncturist. She has a master's degree in it, and she's also uh, a health coach. And she's deep, deeply committed to how agriculture and food production and how they affect the human health. And what I found fascinating is Singing Pastures, they aren't just a company that is just manufacturing food. They also have their own farm where they practice regenerative farming, which we'll dive more into uh, in this episode. And so I love uh, how they combine the healthy food together with keeping the uh, soil good, uh, and doing good for the environment. So super excited. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you for having me, Vincent. It's really my pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, awesome. So I'm very curious. Can you take me back a little bit to like your backstory? And I know that your your husband, uh, John, is uh, the ninth generation family of farmers, right? So where did this come into like the idea of doing regenerative farming and also like uh, specializing in just for pigs? Yeah, that was a, a process. So I am not from a farming background. I married into it. My husband's ninth generation farmer in America. And so when he grew up, he grew up on a conventional farm in Illinois. So it was corn, soy, some cow-calf pears, but kind of what we think about as kind of regular agriculture. And he had a really good experience with that. Um, when he was in his late teens, his father developed Parkinson's disease. And it turns out that a lot of farmers that are using a lot of chemicals in the Midwest get Parkinson's disease. It's a really high correlation. And at this point, many people believe that the chemicals are a contributor to that. So I think that was a real wake-up call for him, that he did not want to go down that path. His father was diagnosed at the age of 47. So by the time he went to college, he studied sustainable agriculture, 
And then he went off to be a raft guide and a mountaineer for many years. And fast forward to when we met and we had kind of this vision of, well, he'll have the farm and we'll grow our own food and I'll help with that. And then also I was an acupuncturist. So that would be another way to bring in income. Um, so we bought our first farm in Missouri. We actually bought an Amish farm that didn't have electricity because we didn't have any money. So we were looking for the cheapest land we could find in the country. And this is what it was. Um, so that was a huge adventure. I had a toddler, uh, a baby. We lived without electricity and we had 50 acres of farmland and we were ready to go for it, right? And uh, I also was running my own acupuncture business. That was incredibly stressful. I can do the whole, I learned a lot of lessons, but I can also say that one of the things that was a real pinch point during that time was that it was, it was too much and we were living in a rural area that didn't have enough people and enough people that wanted to pay a premium price point to be able to keep the farm going. So it's actually my husband that came back from a food conference one day and said there's lots of grass-fed beef sticks and beef jerky on the market, but there's no pasture-raised pork. We should make a pasture-raised pork stick. And at that point, we had raised everything from vegetables, chicken, a couple of sheep, pigs. We custom-grazed cows. I mean, we had done a whole lot of things. But that was a defining moment, and I didn't realize it at the time because I thought it was another kind of harebrained idea, like, yeah, honey, you go and do that. Um, but it just evolved into us figuring out just one step at a time how to build a brand. And, and that was 2016, so that was some time ago. But I would say our big kickoff event was a Kickstarter that we did in 2016. And that's when we like officially said, okay, we're doing this. And we had a successful Kickstarter. We hit our goal in the first 24 hours. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. What, what was the Kickstarter about? It was for the Rome sticks. So it was the oh, pasture-raised... Okay. Uh, 100% pasture-raised pork snack sticks. And so our snack sticks also then and now, we've made some changes, we've changed some branding, but some of the things that are the health attributes of them is the pork is 100% uh, pasture-raised, so it spends, weather permitting, spends most of its life outdoors on pasture, also moving from one ground to the next, which it turns out is very important for soil health. We're mimicking how like herds of bison or you know herds of, Water buffalo, if you were in a different country, would have moved from one place to another. So it's pasture-raised, it's, it's, it's feed is non-GMO fed, it's antibiotic-free, uh, no pork has hormones uh, anywhere. Um, but what some producers, big producers, do use is something called ractopamine, which is a growth stimulant, which is outlawed, actually, in 160 countries, including China and Russia, because of its health effects on humans, but it's legal in America. Um, we never use it, but it's something that a lot of people don't know about. And then, so that's the quality of the meat is better. And then the other thing is we use, we work with um, a processor that does fermentation and then they slow smoke the sticks. So we're using more artisanal, older processing uh, methods than some of a lot of the snack sticks on the markets, even the healthy ones are using something that has hydrogenated oils and they use like a liquid chemical smoke. So those are the health pieces that uh, helped us bring the story to market. Yeah, that's amazing. So the, the Rome sticks was already part of the, like the idea when you first started the farm. Is that correct? No, the farm was going to be um, just, we were going to sell locally. We were going to sell to restaurants and local grocery stores. And we did that for a long time. 
the real pinch point was we weren't able to support the farm. We were going to slowly lose money and support the farm and lose the farm. And so that's where the idea to make something that you could take with you, you know, because there were lots of grass fed beef sticks and beef jerky, things that are ready to eat that you can go and hike with or camp with. So we wanted to do that except for pasture raised pork. And I think we're still the only pasture raised pork snack stick that's nationally available on the market, you know, so we're, we're in a unique niche. And at this point, we've gotten so that we have relationships that like 50% of the meat comes from our farm now, but we also source from other farmers that follow our strict standards. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can, I can imagine uh, compared to like the conventional farming, the cost is going to be much higher, right? Because you're doing all of these things, whereas they are just cutting, cutting corners. So um, I know that you use this term regenerative agriculture. Uh, how do you define that? Uh, term. That's a wonderful question. And it's something that is in the news a lot right now. So the way that I define it is that there's, you basically have three choices in agriculture. Agriculture can be degenerative. That means over time, the soil is getting worse. You're, you have erosion and it's losing nutrients. And oh, an important thing that people don't think about is the microbiome of, in the soil. So when I say microbiome, what I mean is bacteria, fungus, nematodes, insects, worms, even viruses actually live in the soil. And that's good. We, don't real, we didn't realize it, but what we now know is that the soil is alive and by comparison, just like humans need to have a healthy microbiome in their gut, in order for soil to be healthy, it needs to have a healthy microbiome. So you can have degenerative agriculture, the health of the soil is getting worse. You can have sustainable agriculture, where it's basically not getting better or worse, kind of staying the same. Or you can have regenerative agriculture, where you're improving the health of the soil over time. And that's what we're doing. And I can really nerd out about farming things. I don't want to go too, too in depth because I don't want to lose people, but basically you're trying to improve the soil. And I'm going to, I'll throw out a couple of key concepts. Um, what we did wrong all over the world was excessive tillage. Um, nature does not like bare land. And it turns out when you, you know, cut down the trees and then you till it and then you lose a lot of topsoil over many, many years, you basically have just hold, you've just wrecked you know, a piece of land. And nature does not do that naturally. So what are we trying to do is we are still stewards of the land. We're still making management decisions, but we are trying to use strategies that mimic nature. So what does that mean that we're going for? Well, the basic principles are we want to have as much ground cover as possible. We want as many green plants on the land as long as possible. We want them to have really healthy, deep root systems. Um, and we want some animal integration. There needs to be animals. Uh, plants need animals and animals need plants. So if you move your animals over them, they will naturally, you know, you know, poop, pee, fertilize the land. And then you move them on and you give that land a chance to rest and reset. So that's the, the basic principles. Um, and if I had to pick one thing, I would say right now we just have, you know, millions of acres all over the world, billions that are bare land for a good part of the year. And there's a big movement to say, how can we get that covered? Because for 
all the time that there are green plants, whether it's cover crops or whatever your strategy is, they are pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. They turn it into liquid sugar in their bodies, and then they're putting it into the ground um, where the microbiome can then eat it. But that's another whole story. But the plant feeds the microbiome in the, in the soil. So that's good. That's what we want. Just a different way of looking at things, really. You know, we don't look at a piece of land like I'm going to use this till it's spent and I'm going to move on to the next one. We can't keep doing that. We have to figure out how to regenerate the land that we have. And luckily, there are really ecosystems are complex, but there are really easy strategies about how to do that. Um, It just requires a different way of thinking about things and a different agricultural system. Yeah. And this is quite far, I think from like your previous work when you're an acupuncturist and health coach, although there are some similarities, I'm just curious, like what, what is it that uh, you enjoy the most on your day-to-day work right now? Well, first of all, I want to say I love that question. And one of the reasons I love that question is that anybody that follows kind of the bigger picture of health knows that we're looking at like functional, like for example, in functional medicine, we're looking at the whole body, right? And I would say acupuncture and Chinese medicine traditionally did that also in in a different lens, but like how is everything affecting everything else? So we look at systems. That's how we look at ecosystems too. We're not solving for one problem. We're looking at the balance of the whole system right? And in a system, one piece can break, but the whole thing will keep working. Whereas if you're just trying to plant potatoes in one area, you're only managing for how many potatoes you can get. And then you get a potato blight, guess what? You lost all your potatoes, right? So I love thinking about the big picture and how systems operate. So that lended itself really easily for me to get the the concepts of regenerative agriculture. Honestly, a lot of it started with my husband and I talking about food and health at the dinner table and realizing all the similarities between the health of the land and the health of people. And as the business grew, as our Rome Sticks Singing Pastures business grew, um, my husband already was, you know, you know, he was selling things, he was doing some of the speaking, and he was doing most of the farming. I would say I assist him, but I'm not the primary farmer. So there were other things that just needed to get done. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to this, that you just become, in my case, the what, like the Jane of all trades. You just figure it out. So I became the marketing person. I became the Kickstarter person. You know, I help with, I, I, you know, we've gotten, we're a little bit bigger now, so I've been able to hire some of those things out. Um, but I have, I feel like my motto has been, I do something poorly until I can do it in a mediocre way. And then finally, you know, can be like, by the time I learn it, hopefully I'll be ready to have to hire somebody to do it. So I think most of your listeners have a better marketing background than I do. It's also such a different world there. There's so many tools out there that if you want to learn something, you're going to learn it. Somebody did a YouTube video about it. Somebody's offered a webinar. So I am largely self-taught in the marketing department. I also do our grant writing and because uh, we've been able to get some farm grants as well. Yeah, that's true though. I mean, on YouTube, there's so many information out there you can always learn. But also like there are always, always different strategies that come up like pretty much every day, different social media. So, I mean, some strategies work, some strategies uh, don't work as well. So what has you found to be like the best way to that your ideal customers get attracted to to come to Singing Pastures? In terms of finding our ideal customers, 
uh, we were very fortunate early on that my husband w- uh, is just wonderful at talking to people with unboundless enthusiasm about what he does. So early on, we got a call with one of the founders of Thrive Market, which is a big online grocery store. And even though we were tiny at that time, I don't think you could get away with this today, but this was like 2017. He managed to talk to one of the founders and the guy said, sure, we'll carry your product, right? So all of a sudden we had a big uh, you know, group of people that were seeing our product, right? Because they like Thrive Market. Um, and then he also called Natural Groceries, Grocers, which is a, a food chain, thinking that maybe grocery store chain, thinking we maybe we'd get into like 10 or 12 stores. And at the time they put us in like 300 stores. So we actually had sales before we had marketing, which is really weird. Like that's not the way that it's normally done. And mind you, we needed my income as an acupuncturist. So for years I was both you know, being a mom, helping with the farm, running an acupuncture business. And then I was doing the marketing stuff in my spare time in the evening while living in a house that didn't have electricity. I mean, this is crazy. I don't recommend people do this, but I'm just saying like, if you want to know how committed you are, think about like, how much am I willing to put into this? Because, and I think at that point it was just like, I didn't see another option. So we just kept going and we kept charging. Um, So those were our two big first breaks Um, Fast forward to today, I would say that now um, we're putting more of a foundation under our business. We're doing a lot more strategy, but we're still on Thrive Market. We're on Amazon. We're at our website, and we're building relationships with independent stores. And we're going to wait to try to get into uh, UNFI and some of the big, you know, Whole Foods and things like that. We're going to wait for another year, year and a half, because we want to have that really strong foundation so that when we go in, we're ready. Right. Yeah. I love what you shared about, uh, your husband, John, uh, because I, from what I hear is that he has a lot of enthusiasm, right? A lot of belief in his product. And he was also a good, uh, when it comes to sales, like, uh, I think that always helps as a business owner when you're good at selling selling things to, especially landing thrive market, that must be huge. And I think that the authenticity really counts a lot. You know, like we really believe that what we're doing is making a difference. It isn't like we went out to try and find a cause because that cause is trending and therefore we're going to try and make ourselves fit that model. Like we were doing this for years, you know, he in sustainable farming, regenerative farming, going to agriculture, um, workshops, networking with other farmers. We have a lot of relationships. Like I said, we source uh, what we can't produce from our own farm. And I think that the takeaway there for everybody, for anyone, no matter what you're looking at, is like just start with something that you deeply care about it because you're going to be spending a lot of time with it, right? It's like picking a spouse, you know? It's like you're going to be spending a lot of time with that person. Like, it's not all going to be pretty either. So just make sure that you're ready to really dig in. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's fantastic to where to be able to get where you are at Singing Pastures. I'm just wondering, what is your vision for Singing Pastures, let's say, in the next two or three years? Yeah, I think that at this point, um, I'm feeling like we've built a strong foundation and we're scaling, right? So now it's all about brand awareness. It's all about getting people to try our product. You know, our product is not only healthier, it also tastes better. And I really have a lot of confidence when I say that because it's fermented and it's smoked. The meat is kind of is moist and it's tender. Um, it's not 
super dry and chewy, like a jerky. And then the flavors have kind of, has a smoky flavor, has a mild bit of tanginess from the fermentation process. And then we have a bacon, we have a jalapeno, and we have a pineapple that has little bits of pineapple in it. So we have three different flavors right now. So the pineapple is slightly sweet, but they're delicious. And so like my kids' friends like love to come over and like grab all the Rome sticks that are in the house. So, um, you know, I would say that just trying to get into expand, I think we're going to try and go 80% online with COVID in the next year, year and a half, uh, 80% online, 20% brick and mortar stores. And then maybe by 2023, I think trying to launch into like Whole Foods and some of the other national chains. So that's the plan. So you can check out, check in with me in a couple of years and see if I actually pulled it off. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What advice do you have for other entrepreneurs that probably st- just starting out that whether they are maybe on the uh, producer side or maybe they are starting their own brand. Because I, I know that you learn pretty much everything from by trial and error. So what would be some of like your, your biggest uh, takeaways that you that you like to share? Well, I think there are a ton of tools out there that you can use and that can make your life easier. So one is know the tools in your toolbox. Um, and figure out what it is you want to do first if you're and where you are in the stage. Because I think at the very beginning, people are like, oh, you could sell here and you could sell here and you could do Twitter and you could do TikTok and you could and it's not going to it will be overwhelming and you can't do it all at once. So pick something, pick your starting place, do that really well. And then, you know, even if you, like me, have to start out doing it poorly before you can do it well and then move on to the next thing. I mean, you're always going to be multitasking. But I think that the where I see even farmers, like sometimes they'll start, but then within six or seven years, they quit. And I don't know what the statistic is with brands, but I would imagine there's probably something similar going on there is that you, you think like, oh, I just have to make it. Once I make it, they will come. And that's not true. So, you know, they might make it and they might come. So A, be realistic, but B, just like build your foundation, be very clear about what you're out about, have that authenticity when you're doing sales and start out with what you want to, what you want to accomplish, you know, in the next couple months. And when you do that, you move on to the next thing. I just finished writing a business plan last week. I've never written a business plan before in my life. In fact, we operated, I don't recommend that. We operated for six years with no business plan, but now we have one. So I can answer those questions off the top of my head. Um, but it's, you know, it's, a uh, it, I couldn't have done it all, right? There was only so much of me and you're, if you burn yourself out and you're just miserable, you're not going to be able to keep going anyway. So I guess that's it. Build a strong foundation, prioritize one thing at a time. And when people are giving you a thousand good ideas, say, uh-huh, that's a good idea. I'll write it down for later. Yeah. And I also like what you mentioned about being authentic, right? I think that's um, really yeah. key, especially these days. And I can definitely see it on, on your website, like you tell all your stories, your mission, your values. I think it really uh, shines through. So uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank so you. for people who, let's say they want to check out Seeking Pastures or maybe even try some of their own sticks, or maybe they also want to learn about regenerative agriculture. So how do they do that? So the fastest way to do that is to go to our website, which is singingpastures.com. And pastures is, still, is spelled P A S T 
T-U-R-E-S. So pastures like grass, singingpastures.com. Um, they can also find us, uh, uh, you know, at Singing Pastures on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and we also have a Pinterest account. Um, and uh, those would be, you know, quick ways to find us on the web. We sell from our website. We sell at Amazon. We sell at Thrive Market, Misfits Market. And so, you know, uh, those are the best ways. I'm going to say we're mostly online right now, but hopefully coming to a store near you, it's just going to maybe give me another, you know, six months to two years. Yeah, awesome. And I'll be sure to leave all those uh, links in the show notes so you can check that out. So uh, Holly, before we wrap this up, is there anything that you'd like to share or maybe just uh, final takeaways or maybe something that you have something burning that maybe I didn't ask? No, I think you've done a wonderful job answering questions. I mean, I think that I would just say that uh, for me right now, the business is part of a larger uh, concern. And the larger concern is I have a deep concern about where we're going with our planet. And uh, I have a deep concern that my kids are not going to have the safety that we would like all of our kids to have. So it, I would say for whatever you, you do, like find that one thing, since we are on a sustainability, nobody can do everything, but just like building the bound, the building, the, the business, I would say in our personal lives, like, Find that foundation. What's this one thing I care about and one thing I can do to try and help with that? Because if we look at all the pieces, it's so overwhelming that you're ready to like throw up your hands and say, I give up. Like I'm a soil person. I will never do anything for like, you know, wildlife in Africa. I think it's fabulous. I want there to be wildlife and agriculture, but I'm going to pick this thing because I believe this is going to help. I would just encourage people on a personal level also to be like, this is the thing that I want to do to try and help, you know, get our planet uh, to be safe, healthy, and happy. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And definitely also support those businesses that are doing great work. purchasing their their products so yeah so holly it was a pleasure speaking with you and thank you so much thank you so much i really appreciate your time and the opportunity